Well, hello there. You seem to have tuned in to Pierre, Pierre Pressure, Pressure Podcast. Podcast. Excellent choice. My name is Pierre. I will be hosting this podcast and all the other ones with this name. The reason for this podcast is for me to talk to interesting musicians who are doing really cool stuff in the world of music and to talk about music and politics and how they intersect. My guest on this episode couldn't be more perfect for that situation. His name is Stu, and he writes well-crafted pop with really interesting, clever lyrics, and he dips his toe into politics more than a little, and he's not afraid to talk about it. So we had a really great time hanging out, talking. We recorded this podcast at the studio of Paul Brill in Brooklyn. Thank you, Paul. Stu started out his career in a band called Negro Problem, and they were in Los Angeles. They played for many, many years, did tons of cool stuff. And then he moved to New York, and he created a play called Passing Strange, which started off-Broadway and then went to Broadway and had amazing success, won four Tonys, won a bunch of Drama Desk Awards. It was made into a film by Spike Lee. And the play, Passing Strange, deals with Stu, the character, partly based on his life. It deals with his identity what it's like to be an African-American guy, a musician, an American, dealing with your own identity as a musician, but also kind of figuring out what it's like to move to another country, what it's like to explore film and music and other cultures, and just like what it, through all of that, what it means to, to be black and to be American. It's, it was an amazing play that was kind of the first Broadway show to use mu- rock music as its really central, basic soundtrack and there was a band on stage during the play and it really was also just kind of a mind-opening look at a certain african-american perspective that was really fresh and kind of eye-opening for everybody so that's that's what Stu's all about kind of just upending expectations with his lyrics and with his music and with his all the things he does in his writing and he's also a teacher so I had an amazing time sitting with him and just talking and I feel like I learned a lot I also was quite surprised by some of his uh, responses in a really good way and I love when that happens when people really take me by surprise so I had a blast talking to Stu I hope you enjoy our conversation So hey, Stu. Yes, sir. Thank you for doing my funky little podcast. Oh man, yeah, I'm pressure. Thrilled. I'm so thrilled. happy to talk to you, and this is awesome. Cool to be here. Um, so you grew up in L.A. Um, what part of L.A. were you? Did you grow up in? I'm very. We curious. like to call it. We like to call it um, north of South Central. North. <laughs> we of were South north Central. of the Ten Freeway, uh, Midtown. is how they call it. Oh yeah, Midtown. Yeah. Is it like a neighborhood that's been hyper gentrified at this point, or like you know? Man, I haven't been there in so long. That's an I'm obnoxious be there. question. I just well, realized. Well, I'm gonna be. Well, I'm gonna. I'm gonna be there in June, and I will tell you. My guess is yes, but you know, Wilt Chamberlain used to live in that neighborhood. Right. He had a gigantic apartment complex that he owned. Wow! And where'd you go to high school? Uh, I went to Fairfax. And oh then yeah, I got where a lot of rock stars. Isn't that went. where Flea went? Flea and Anthony, those guys. Definitely, Chili Peppers went there. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, and a lot of rock and roll people went there. Then I got thrown out and went to Hamilton High School. 
Okay. Was Hamilton like a hippie school, like like Fairfax? I, I hear. I feel like Fairfax was kind of a hippie school, or no? It was more like a if you mean inner city if, kind of joint. No, it was <laughs> inner city and hippie. It okay. was like there was all all of that was going on simultaneously. Fairfax was everything at one time. Wow, yeah. amazing. Yeah. So, like growing up in LA in the I guess seventies, seventies, eighties, like and being a musician or you know being involved in music, there was so much cool shit going on. I grew up in Orange County in the. Mm-hmm. A little oh, later okay. than you, okay. but I was super you and Heidi, in, my collaborator. Yeah, yeah so yeah. I was involved in like I was super into the later punk rock scene. I mm-hmm. was really into like the the Minutemen and oh, yeah. and X and that stuff. But seventies, yeah. eighties, there was so much cool stuff that was coming around, at, coming along at that time. Like, what were you into that that kind of well, formed what you were listening to? Well, I got I got I got to be honest. We were really we lived across the street from Aaron's Records when Aaron's was very small. And me and my geeky friends, we were really into prog. Oh, really? And punk, which yeah. was sort of a <laughs> problematic sure. sometimes, you know. Right. But so we were, we were, in, we would go to the Starwood, yeah, which is where Devo got their start wow. in Hollywood. And I saw them when they were like just like you no know, way, yeah, like thirty-five people wow. in the crowd. Yeah. Where's the Starwood? Starwood was on. Uh, Oh, um, it's terrible. I, I want to say it's on Sunset, but it might be on Hollywood. But I think it was on Sunset. It hasn't been there for ages. And um, no, I mean we were just everybody was in a band, you know. Right. Like everybody was in a band, and we were into we were into everything, you know. Right. We were into you know English prog, and we were into punk, and we were into Parliament Funkadelic. I mean Fairfax was really mixed up. Yeah. Everybody, everybody was there, you know. And it seems like a lot of there was a so I can't help but. So a lot of my interviews, uh, a lot of this interview is going to be me trying to be racially sensitive to a fault because I can't help it and because I'm a white guy or whatever. But obviously so much of your art and your, you know, your world and your ethos has been about dealing with like how people perceive races and how people right. perceive African-Americans. And, right. you know, and, it's, and I love that about it. And so I have to ask like. When you're a kid in the you know in the six in the seventies listening to whatever punk rock or whatever, are you aware of like there's black people coming up doing punk rock stuff? Like were you into obviously you well, mentioned yeah, bad I mean, we, brains in yeah, some of your songs. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, I think we were we were in bands, right? So yeah. you you had without question the first you know two years of me going into clubs mm-hmm. with my band, which was predominantly black except maybe one guy. Okay. It was always. A, we were we had to be a funk band, right? Because we were all black. Yeah. And B, because I'm this big guy, you know, I must be like a bass player or a drummer. You know? Right. Right. <laughs> you right. know. So yeah, we got that. You know. Right. But the thing is, we just like we. You're we, doing your own thing. Yeah, and we just rolled with it, and we knew who Hendrix was, and we knew right. who Arthur Lee was, and we knew who the Bad Brains were. So it's like we knew that you know we were people could be idiots. That was fine. You know. I mean, right. I was I wasn't as sensitive. You know, we were. Quite frankly, I think we were just like tougher and dealt with more stuff. There's a lot of people today, I think, that are super duper sensitive about stuff, and that's fine to be sensitive. Yeah. But we were dealing with all kinds of stuff, and we just like rolled with it. And you just had to be like smarter and cooler, yeah, than the people you were dealing with. And for us, punk rock was like like looking at like John Lydon. We were like, there's a white guy who's pissed off. Yeah, he's actually as pissed off as he's more pissed off than we are. Right. And what right. does that mean? Like right. we're black and we're supposed to be pissed off. Right. But we're looking at these like punk rock guys who were like pissed off too. Right. And we were like, yeah, that means we must not be crazy because we're pissed off because we think this whole 
American system. dream thing is full of shit. Right. And then there's like white guys who should be, you know, you would think Living they should large, be yeah, yeah. surfing Enjoy. at the beach or whatever. Yeah. And they're like, no, this we're not enjoying this either. Right. So for us, music was like where the truth actually lived right. about society. If you went to the newspapers, if you went to the colleges, if you went to all these places, that was another thing. But the music was where we felt like the actual truth of like race was. And musicians didn't play that shit, if you pardon my... No, you no, know, you musicians can say the didn't, S word. Music, <laughs> you, know, you listen to Parliament Funk, and that was like white boy sounding electric guitar. Hendrix was white boy sounding electric guitar, but right. Hendrix invented that shit, right? Right. So like we knew where this stuff was from, you know? Right. And we knew that people like Dylan and Lennon were completely influenced by Chuck Berry, you know what I mean? Right. So like it was, the truth was in the music. The, tr the truth was we were fine. Right, but the, <laughs> you know what I mean? but when it comes to punk, it's weird because you you have rock and roll that is, is like a clear white appropriation of black, you know, so called black music or whatever, mm -hmm. and then punk, uh, and then the, the reason I bring up like these, it seemed like in eighty in the eighties at that point there were some really cool people kind of saying fuck it, like we can be punk and we're black, like Fishbone, I loved Fishbone, yes. yeah, yeah, you know, Bad Brains I brought up and like. Living colored a little bit later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was this yeah, band, Twenty Four Seven Spies. I don't I know if you remember them. that. Yeah, 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 they were amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So people were just like, "We're going to take this back because it it had become white music, punk rock." Right, in a right, way. right, right. But I think, yeah, we never. I never completely felt that way. We always felt like it was ours, you know. Yeah. Like when I would play Beatles or Stones, yeah. My mom and dad would peek in and go, you know, listening to. I was just remember one day very clearly listening to McCartney. Um, uh, why don't we do it on the road? Yeah. And my mom went in and goes, he's trying to sound like Lead Belly. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like, it, But For it was sure. like, but it wasn't like an angry thing. Yeah. She thought it was actually hilarious. Yeah. That this like, some skinny white British. boy, British white boys is trying yeah. to, that they were sounding, trying so hard, you know? So many and, of and, and, and But the thing is, I have to say, I don't want to sound like hippy dippy, but I mean, it wasn't like the whole appropriation thing. Mm -hmm. That idea to me is more popular now. I don't look at it as appropriation or maybe technically it's appropriation but I talked when I was in Kenya I talked to African musicians mm -hmm. there and they were like you think that like white guys are the only people that steal <laughs> right 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 <laughs> Every every artist steals from somebody too, else. Yeah, do you think we're too primitive to steal? It's like that's an insult. It's like uh, you think we're like pure, right? And that and that the you know the Europeans are the ones that go stealing music, but right. the African guys are just like African high life music, which is some of my favorite music yeah. of all times, exists because West Africans listen to learned English church hymns. Wow. And appropriated those nice bright G chords and D chords and C chords. Yeah. And turned that into high life. Now you listen to high life and you go, man, that's the most African shit ever. Right. It's not. Right. It's like all other music. Right. It's it goes back some, and forth. It goes back and just forth. Just like uh, uh, there's weird like Cambodian pop where they're stealing oh, yeah. from like Hendrix or something. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Or yeah, from yeah. they're stealing from whoever. Yeah. Yeah. They're trying Ding, to be psychedelic. Dengue. Dengue. Uh, dengue yeah, fever. Yeah. yeah, I know a couple of those guys. There's yeah. a few. That, yeah, yeah, I love that stuff. Yeah. And or South Af South American like um, what do you call it? Uh, chicha. Like right. that stuff where it's like South, yeah. they're just trying to be, they think they're Hendrix. But right. It sounds so South American. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's cool. Yeah. Well, okay. So now might be a good time for you to play a song for us. I will. And you're, uh, tell us what song you're going to play. Uh, it's, 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 it's called A Baldwin Country. It's the first song in our show, native song, actually, notes of a native song, a James Baldwin influenced song cycle that we've been touring for about four or five years now 
And uh, yeah, it's called Baldwin Country. It's the first cut off the album, too. Say, Harlem girl, with your stress and your curl, would you like to change worlds? And accompany me, Lord Lown. Say, I'm about to leave town. Won't you follow me down to Baldwin Country? Yeah, you think we're there, but this ain't the place. It's not a zip code, it's a look on your face. It ain't Harlem G, it's not Compton Cool. It ain't Gay Perry, it's not Istanbul. Step into my pool. I'm gonna play the fool and stretch your definition of funky. This ain't your mama's Baldwin country. Yeah, you first learn the myth of Bessie Smith on a sad turntable as soon as you're able. La 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 la. Yeah, you first learn the myth of Bessie Smith on a sad turntable as soon as you're able. La 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 And then you remember And then you remember At least you try to remember At least you try to remember Oh, but you forgot to remember And then you cease to remember My black lady teachers didn't play no games. They were wig-wearing preachers who taught us the names. Ellison and Himes, the Hughes and Dunbar rhymes, Dexter and Josephine. We didn't know what the names meant. Oh, but we clocked the pigment. My teachers were tourist bureaus. Set me up with vacations with heroes. They looked just like me. Hey, Mrs. Markham and Mrs. Medeiros, I wish that you were here to hear this. Y'all sisters did me right, gave me a candle through this long American night. Said more than son, good luck. You taught me like you gave a fuck. Said there's beauty in this ugly world. Go out and find it and I was hurled. You told me love could not fail. And so I raised my sail. The Negro problem is solved by education, she said. She said, it's ignorance that keeps y'all down. Oh, but once I started thinking like an educated Negro, guess what? They don't want that Negro around. When love meets truth, there's a lot to forgive. It's not a safe space. Hey. But it's where we live And if I don't see things the same as you Blame Harlem's bard, that's what he made me do 
was really like, fantastic. I love, so, I love it. That was so waiting for the drums to come in that never came in. <laughs> I heard them. I heard them. They were in my head. They were there. I, I loved it. Beautiful. Thank you. So um, I have a lot of thoughts about this. I lo- it's an amazing song. I love it. Um, Thanks. One of the things, so many things struck me about it. One of them is, I think you name check some of your teachers, actual teachers by name. Is that right? Are Markham and Medeiros, <laughs> they are they really real are. people? They really, they really yeah. are by actual, they are the actual people, yes. Uh, okay. And it's really funny to do that and think, okay, like, are there like, you know, nieces and nephews or sons and daughters or whatever going to like come screaming at me one day? But I, yeah, I had to say the real names. I couldn't make up names. Well, that was my question. Have they, do they know about you? Like, are they? These were women that were, you know, in their, I would say, 40s when I was, you know, like nine okay. years old. So they're, they may not odds be with are, us anymore. Yeah, odds are, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but I... They, they had a changed, big effect on you. They changed my life. I mean, you know, we talk about arts education and, you know, all the data is in that has shown. I mean, it's scientific data has shown that having kids paint and think artistically is good for brain development. So sure. that's not even like a debate anymore. Like, that's not even a debate. Mm-hmm. But there's this other thing, which is just talking about art. They talked to us about James Baldwin long before we could read him. Wow. But they would plant the seed Mm -hmm. so that like five, six, seven years later, I'm in a library or I'm in a bookstore. Mm -hmm. I see a name. Yeah. And or they they used to talk about Dexter Gordon. They taught us about black expatriates. These ladies, these teachers were you were in like fourth, fifth grade or something. Yeah. Third, fourth, fifth grade. And they, and, and they were just regular mainstream teachers, mm-hmm. but they were nothing fancy, no fancy private school type thing or anything, public yeah. school, right? But they were really interested at that time in letting, I think, letting black kids who they were teaching know that there were other worlds besides the one we were in. So they were really into talking to us about black ex- expatriates. In other words... They were into letting us know that something else besides the world we were born into existed. And they did that by talking about, well, you know, James Baldwin went to Paris and uh, Dexter Gordon went to Paris. And, uh, you know, they just kind of went down Josephine Baker, you know, and they went down the line of all these different people. And they totally inspired me to move. (laughs) They really did. So interesting. They really did. Was was the idea that. For you to fully get, like, the perspective on your worth as a human being, you got to get the hell out of America? I felt at the time, because I hadn't read Baldwin at the time, at the time, it just seemed like adventure. Yeah. You know, it just seemed like fun, like this other place that I knew nothing about. Uh But these guys went, and okay, so just the option, like, the first step was just the option exists, right? Sure. Then you read the book and you go wow that sounds cool that sounds interesting but i think it's just having that initial seed of movement is a possibility or movement is something you should try to do and it didn't mean just europe it meant going from la to san francisco for the weekend sure you know when after we graduated you know it just meant let's not stay home (laughs) it meant going to downtown la and 
tripping out or going to the beach. It just meant moving, going Look somewhere. at some other stuff out there. Yeah. It's really interesting for me as a, I grew up in France. I was born in France and right. lived there as a kid. And I know that there's this French, there's this really complicated French obsession with African-American culture. Mm -hmm. Josephine Baker, mm -hmm. James Baldwin, I mean, Miles Davis went there. You know, they, mm -hmm. they championed all this jazz. Mm -hmm. But there's a little bit, there's a tinge of it that's a little bit exoticism, like colonialist, like, ooh, yeah, ooh. Yeah, sure. But at the same time, like, the French really just, like, got people over there and respected them and and and, uh, yeah. and championed their art. Right? Yeah, yeah, So it's yeah. really interesting. I don't have a problem with the exoticism or whatever exoticizing because yeah. i think that is something that we all do mm -hmm. and i don't think that's ever going to change right. and i think what really sucks is when you are pretending that you're not fascinated right exactly. <laughs> by a person yeah you know um which is happening a lot now i think people are trying to sanitize yeah. their curiosity about the other because we're trying to be so absolutely polite absolutely to a fault there was a kid yeah. I, had a, I had a student some some years ago from south side of chicago yeah and he said i'm so tired of being in this all-white school because and it wasn't all white but i was tired of being in this all-white right. school uh, because these people are, uh, you know, they're othering me and they're, um, you know, objectifying me. Yeah. And I said, well, you know, you're from the South Side of Chicago. I don't know anybody from the South Side of Chicago. I'm this black dude who's 50-whatever 50, 50 from L.A. Yeah. We are very different people, and you know that, right? And he started laughing. I said, so we're kind of doing it to each other, too. Right. Human beings do this, yeah. and it's okay as long as you don't exactly. fuck anybody's shit up. Right. You know, and as long as you own it, you know, yeah. as long as you own it. I mean, for me, especially again in and he was an artist and I'm like in art, this is kind of how we have to roll. We have to. French film changed my life. I forgot to tell you that the the B-side to the teachers setting me up with this idea that I could leave yeah, was when I got into high school, I fell into Revival House movies. Okay. And so I started seeing, I mentioned this in the, in the, in the show, I started seeing these Godard movies, these Truffaut movies, right. and these movies with me and my film geek buddies changed everything. Right. Because they kind of proved not only was there this other world, yeah, but it was kind of cool and it was kind of obsessed with the things that we were obsessed with, which yeah. was sex, art, exactly. love, you know, right. and conversation. Naked girls at breakfast tables, talking Hegel and Camus. Adieu, Disneyland. While men dressed up in Galois smoke, quote marks right back at you. Auf Wiedersehen, LAPD. All this might I mean, right. do you know, you don't know, because you're from France, but I mean, I can remember the first time I set, I don't know what it was, Eric Romero or something, and being like, wow, these people are having a conversation yeah. at a table. That's it. And it's been 10 minutes, yeah. and it's a really good conversation, and this is what I like to do, right? right? And it doesn't hurt that, you know, 
that the, 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 the people are attractive, right. you know what I mean? exactly. and that you're actually interested. In that. That's like what sexy I do. Sexy French people, yeah, smoking yeah, a yeah, yeah. And I mean, I'm sorry. I mean, like, there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. And no, was I exoticizing great. them? Hell yeah, yeah I was. Exactly. They were like Martians. I, I was exoticizing the hell out of them, but I also loved it. Exactly. And they had that thing with the same thing with French film is what they did with jazz. We don't quite understand it, right? right? But but we love it and we know that it's operating culturally in a way that nothing in our culture is. Right. So a French kid listening to Miles right in 19 late 50s is going I'm not getting this. Qu'est-ce qui se passe? Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> I need this. Yeah. I don't exactly know what it is, but yeah. I need it. And I'm looking at his movies and going, I don't know what this is. Yeah. But I need this. It's I all want about, some of this. It's all about curiosity yeah. in a respectful and, and fascinated way. I was thinking, I've been immersing myself in your music, and there's so much good stuff. And I was thinking, like, the way, the way people have to kind of have to act at this particular moment is we have to just be cool with everyone all the time and act like everyone's normal, whether it's a trans person or a whatever, or a, you know, whatever race you are, whatever sexuality is, which is cool to be respectful, but do we really, we, we can't all be the same. Like what's really fun about life is that we're all so different. Right. Like men and women are different. You know, it's like, do we want to be one uh, androgynous gray race of people with one language? Well, that would be yeah, so yeah, fucking yeah, boring. Yeah, yeah, well, what you know? I want, yeah, yeah. Well, what I, what I want is just the right that everybody should have to be curious and make mistakes. Yeah. And not be an automatic expert on everyone's situation. Like, I do not expect any white person to be an expert on being black. Right. I, don't, I don't expect any white person to assume that they are going to be able to make it through life without being wrong, just as I have been wrong about their culture. Like, in other words, I feel like as long as we allow each other to make mistakes and be dumb, like, mm -hmm. we, you have to be allowed to be ignorant. Ignorance can't be punished to me. Mm -hmm. I mean, ignorance has to be called out and mm -hmm. pointed to, but I don't think it should be punished. Because when you teach... That's not a learning moment. Right. And after, yeah, right. and after the ignorance, after they've been taught... Mm -hmm. Then you can get pissed off. Yeah, <laughs> if, if they, they make the same yeah, mistake. Yeah, again. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I feel like that initial moment where it's like people are just like, I can't believe that you called me. You know, the whole like, remember when it was like it was going from it was going from colored to Negro to to black to Afro American to African American. Right, you know? right, right. And people were like, it was the same thing with like now. It was sort of like, how dare you have not got the memo about Hispanic where we, or yeah, where Latino we are, or whatever. Yeah, where we are right now. I just feel like we're all messing up and capable of messing up and i feel that good people who are trying to understand shouldn't be like yes yeah, like i said shouldn't be punished for uh for messing up because i think we're all just completely flawed anyway you know peer pressure podcast is brought to you by splendid corp graphic design superior graphic design with the best ideas, the best images, everything about it is totally awesome. If you want really great graphic design and you want to work with really nice people who get back to you really fast and keep making things better and better, I recommend Splendid Corp. That's Splendid, C-O-R-P. So I'm going to try to go kind of chronologically, so Negro problem. When did you start that? 
like uh, Negro Problem for Real first record was like 97 oh okay yeah we were another band sort of we were a band called Crazy Sound All Stars and then we kind of decided we that was more of a, a more experimental group and then we decided we wanted to make pop songs our, our version of pop songs yeah which clearly wasn't you know mainstream but right so we started doing um the negro problem god your lyrics are so hilarious and f- smart i, I, oh, I just I, have I'm, to <laughs> i'm complimented by the fact that you said hilarious because that's really the goal i yeah. totally like i'm influenced by to me the gods comedians are the gods to right me. It's really not the writers or the poets or the music. Comedians are the gods. They are the ones with the hardest job, and they hit on all the... I mean, prior George Carlin, Lenny, all that stuff, Lenny Bruce, all that stuff was like... That was, to me, like... That's the high art to me. Yes. That's the high art to me. Those guys are like the Picassos. Forget my birthday, darling. It won't mean a thing. What's your birthday anyway? Just bring me a card from Thrifty's two days late. That'll be okay. Some cake and ice cream out the way. Most importantly, you should not be eager to impress. To impress. Say, basically, what you need is a man in a dress. In a dress. You need a man in a dress. In a dress. Well, it's just painting with words, and you clearly do that. Like, the words are so, are the weapons, and they just cut. And you have this way of turning a hilarious uh, punchline that you're not expecting in a, you know, in a two bars or four bars. It's like, it's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Like, combining things. I find it, like, incredibly inspiring and amazing. Thank you. Thank you. It's really cool. And I was going to, that was one of my questions, was going to ask if if comedy was an influence, because it just... Big time. It's a timing thing. It is musical. Like, comedy is musical in a way where it's this timing. Totally. Yeah, yeah. completely. Yeah, and I mean, I can remember when we were really, really into, like, you know, like in the 70s, particularly mid-70s, and Richard Pryor, when he was really just at the top of his game. And I remember this moment when my father was playing a Richard Pryor record in the living room that had all these curse words and was referring to all this, like, rude stuff. Mm-hmm. But it was so funny that my mom couldn't turn it off right and i knew even when i was like a kid like there's something really amazing going on because if it was just a song that was saying a bunch of curse words Mm -hmm. or trying to be like crude or whatever trying to be really hard she would have said turn this off yeah but the fact that the artistry was at a level where he was talking about the crudest things Mm -hmm. but with such a such genius language she couldn't be offended right and i i knew like that was kind of an interesting kind of punk rock for me you know right. that like that like she she had to listen she had to laugh she hated the fact that she was laughing but she had to because it was just too good because he's selling it with the with the humor which is the same thing that musicians do with the music you're selling whatever angry gnarly yeah. like subversive shit you're trying to get through with music comedians are doing it by making you laugh yeah 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 which is just so much harder but actually (laughs) musicians in in your case in a lot of people's case doing both you're also being funny where you're like i'm trying did somebody catch that that was so hilarious i mean i love uh black men ski i'm just gonna jump into that that song is hilarious i mean there's a ton of songs that are so good but like um first of all is that a true story? Like, did you, did anyone, did you ever have an experience where you're skiing and someone's uh, like, what the uh, fuck? No, the experience, no, the, the, well, the, the experience that inspired that was we were with this comedy troupe in um, uh, Aspen and 
it was after midnight and we walked into a hotel restaurant and we were told like the whole troupe, like 12 people were closed. And then the director um, went up to the maitre d' and whispered something in his ear and they opened the restaurant for us and treated us wonderfully hmm. for like the next two hours. Okay. And I said to the director, what did you say? And she said, I just pointed to you and said, do you know who he is? <laughs> and the thing is, I wasn't anybody. But who I was was the only black man in Aspen that night. <laughs> and the maitre d' didn't even ask who I was. The maitre d' just said, oh, my God, you know, because I was the only black man in Aspen. Perfect. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. So I was just like, OK, black men ski, because we were surrounded by all these. That's great. Black men go to Aspen and rent colorful chalets. Giggle at the questions their mere presence seems to raise. Get taken for men they don't resemble in the least. It's a winter wonderland in the belly of the beast. And black men ski. Black men ski. Black men send back sushi with a scorned Yakuza's flair. Make postmodern art with bacon, grease, and hot comb hair. Quietly play Beethoven inside their base mobiles. They can show you how cool looks, but cannot tell you how it feels. When song to this day about every month I get like pictures of a particularly in winter I get pictures of during winter about once a week I get a picture of some guy some, some black American ski group guy, some African American guy on yeah, skis yeah that's great well okay going back to the like growing up in the 80s so one of the funny I, I just watched this documentary about like 80s punk rock called American Hardcore and then everyone's was in, influenced actually, I, I gotta say you're being really nice to me I actually grew up in the 70s I mean by the 80s I'm 57 so I mean okay. like, like, like I, gradu I graduated high school in 79 so got you're, it, got you're it. being very nice that's cool that's cool but okay let's well okay so Ronald Reagan was elected in the '80s, and that was like that fuel for that was fuel for a lot of people's Most musical uh, yes. ire. So, um, I just have to ask you this silly question: How do you think our current administration? <laughs> how do you think Reagan would feel about what's going on right now in <laughs> politics? Well, everybody says this, right? That it's just right. so hilarious that you know between him and you know Nixon, uh, they look. Amazing. They, they look amazing. Them. They look amazing. They'd be so pissed that we're handing our country over to the Russians. Right, possibly. right, right, right. Uh, I I am curious about. I teach a couple of classes, at, one at New School and one you know at Sarah Lawrence, and I am curious as to why this fellow has not inspired more young songwriters to write things. But maybe those songs are being written, and I just don't know about it. But I. I'm kind of waiting around for some... I'm actually waiting around for some very mainstream, popular songwriters to write about the situation, and I'm wondering kind of why they don't. And I feel like people are writing about it in code or, in, in code. or couching it. I feel like if you... To, he, he's such a bummer to most people that most people don't want to stink up their song with an actual well, well, reference was, no, to no, the No, 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 I, I wouldn't do you know? that. I yeah. wouldn't do that. I mean, yeah. I had to write one. Spike, right. not, Spike Lee asked me to write a song about Trump for a scene in one of his um, 
TV, his TV show last year. Uh, she's got to have it. And it's a TV show. Yeah, uh, yeah, on, on, uh, yeah. It's called uh, "She's Got to Have It." It's based on the TV, based on the movie. Oh, wow. Okay. And um, I said no like twenty times. Yeah. And he just kept. He's got that way. And yeah. finally, I and I said, "Dude, I'm not saying no because I'm being, trying to be cool. I'm saying no because I'm terrified of." writing a song about this guy I just don't even want his thing anywhere near I don't want to mention his, his energy. name I want yeah. yeah and then he was like man you can do it you can do it you can do it in a way where it's not gonna and I'm like okay and I did and you know I'll send it to you I should have sent it to you before I know was, I'm thinking wow I want to hear that maybe we can uh, put play a little I bit can, of that on this podcast yeah 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 yeah, yeah that'd be great uh, it what's it was it called it was, it was a, uh, uh, it's called a uh, uh, clown with the nuclear code <laughs> an unreal estate It was hard. I didn't want to do it, you know, for that very reason right. you mentioned. But I guess I just feel like if I was as gigantic as, uh, you know, uh, Taylor Swift, I don't know. I just, why not? Hey, you know, Taylor Swift did something recently where she told her fans to vote or something. Yeah, yeah, she told she them to vote. Which was great. No, cool. yeah, no yeah. it was great. We talked about her in my class, actually. Yeah, no, I yeah. think it's great, but that's why I mentioned her. Right. I, I mean, it's, just, it's just interesting to me it that, is. That, that it doesn't get talked about but or sung about rather but well, well i feel like the but songs... i think you're right the reason why it's not happening i think you're right but still i it would be interesting if they tried there were a lot of songs about reagan obviously like yeah. the whole whole genre was yeah. born about reagan and then um bush i think inspired a lot of songs yeah i, I wrote a couple about him uh-huh. and then uh now I think people are just in shock. They're like, "Are you fucking serious? Like this is what's going on now?" But then, I, then, I, then I think that's what they should write about. Because yeah. to me, I'm not really interested in the dude. Right. I'm interested in the co-signers. Right. Like Those I'm, are the guys. I'm far more. To me, the lesson to be learned is not from him. The lesson to be learned is from McConnell. Right. Lindsey Graham. The, these Paul are, Ryan, these are the Sarah this is Sanders. Where, no, this is where the lesson. Is. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. the richness to me. Yeah, that's where the richness is because it's talking about the human condition to me, the fact that those people can exist. Right, that's what I'm interested in. I'm not so much interested. I mean, I'm, I joke that like he's kind of in the in this sense he's consistent. He's doing dudes doing what he's been doing his whole life. He's had that privilege. Right, he's had that dough. He's just rolling the way he rolls. Right, but these other people. There are people who called him, who described him accurately in 2016, mm-hmm. who now are kissing his ass. Yeah, exactly. like they're quoted. They're quoted. They're there. Two. How, how many years ago was that? Right. Right. And and they said exactly what you and I would say about him. Right. And now they're rolling with him. Exactly. And you know what? The tw- I I, know, I talked to 12 year olds, who have, you know, literally a 12 year old kid, a friend of a uh, kid, a son of a friend of mine, who said, so you guys. Voted for Obama, twice, and then you gave us, and then you gave us this guy. The twelve-year-old said, "Yeah, because you know the twelve-year-old's mind is like, 
and I love the fact that it's they just clear. like implicate us. They go, you guys gave us Obama, and now you gave us. You know, it's, it's no you use arguing. Oh, well, actually, I didn't. You know, I mean, no, right. we did. Our we generation did. Yeah. And he's like, so what am I supposed to think about? Old the system. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He actually said the system, but what he should have said is, yeah. yeah. What am I supposed to think about old people? So to me, that's what the lesson is. It's, it's not a really on the dude. And, and I think too much focus is on the dude. Yeah, for sure. He's a clown. And so, like you said, and like your song says, but uh, the, these people who are propping him up, who are have just, just banked, have thrown their morality under a blanket, <laughs> buried it, it's gone. They have nothing. Yeah, I think they put it in a blanket and buried it. Yeah. They buried it, stabbed it, and then burned it, yeah. There's no, uh, there's no more. It's really, it's really bizarre. It's really terrifying, and I, I don't understand it. Those people, because I feel like a lot of Trump voters now are um, a little embarrassed and feel kind of bad about it, and don't think he's doing such a great job. But they had to vote for him for some reason. Mm -hmm. But then there's these people in politics. They have, they should know better. These people in power. I, I just, I just think we're honestly, it's like we're lucky to be able to see it happen. I, that's what I want to. That's what I want to study. That's what I want to look into. I'm, I'm sort of considering making a show about those, the people adjacent to the assholes. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? The asshole adjacent yeah. people. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about it. I don't know yeah. what I'm going to do. It might be a song cycle, or it might not be a show. It might be a song cycle. But okay. I'm just thinking about the people that co, the co-signers. Right. The, um, the enablers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, th those are the, fascinating me these days. I want to get back to like the the comedy thing because I feel like p part a big part of your um, ethos is like kind of a court jester thing where you're mm -hmm. you're saying here's what's going on, it's yes. kind of hilarious. Let me show you how you know. Let me show you this hilarious way, and it's really appealing because it's not judgmental. But here's this hilarious way where like white people think we all look the same or we're all the same or black people don't ski or whatever. Just let me show you this funny way that black culture gets viewed by yeah yeah and yeah. it's and it's and it's funny and i think it's like a court jester thing and i may have read that in an interview that you did where it's like it's the job of the person to make you laugh at it but it's really serious stuff well it's it's to make you the to me it's like boxing it's like you open the person up and then you go in for the kill right you know that's what humor does that's what yeah. the comedians do all the time they do it all the time yeah they set you up they make you laugh and then they go boom you know yeah and and to me it's just there's like a rhythm to that and there's um for me it's like i can't what when i'm trying to talk to my students and like talk about like how to you know writing political songs and stuff i keep trying to emphasize that it's got to be personal and it actually can't be hateful because I want people to lean in. We're mm -hmm. not on TV now, so I, you can't, they can't see this. But I want to do stuff that makes people lean in. Mm -hmm. If I scream, you're going to lean back. Mm -hmm. And if you lean back, then you're going to end up leaning back and then walking out the door. Mm -hmm. I don't need to scream at you. People are screaming at you every day. You know what I mean? yeah. Especially if you live in New York. Right. I want to say something that's going to make you lean in mm -hmm. and listen to me. So I'm actually trying to charm the listener. I totally am. And I actually think that the best punk rock did that also. I have, a, if you ever want to geek out about punk rock, I feel like like the real hardcore stuff. Yeah, talk about it. What well, the it? real, the real yeah. hardcore stuff, which is a lot of the American stuff. Yeah. Does have this male aggression that I think accomplishes. I'm not against it, but I think it 
accomplishes one thing, which is makes all the men go, yeah, you know? I totally, I completely agree with you. The English punk, which yeah. to me was just glam with a torn, it was like glam with another yeah. designer. Yeah. It was Vivian Westwood. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and the English punk to me was just not only glam, but it was very art school and it was arch. You know and what I more, mean? And more, more, femin more feminine. Absolutely. Not feminist, yes, but more yes, feminine. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So I was always more attracted yeah, to that. Me you know, too, 100%. You know, because they were really, they, <laughs> they might have had a safety pin or whatever, but they were really, they were really trying to get us to lean in, you know, totally. and you were totally leaning in. You were not. You, you might have been, I remember an interview once, going back to Leiden once, where pretty early on, too, and he was just looking, I mean, you know, they were just pale, and they were just like, they, you could see how they looked scary to some people, and, but he was articulate as hell. Oh, yeah. And I remember my mom, after the interview, I thought my mom would be like, who are they? My mom goes, he seems like a smart boy. <laughs> That's you know? great. Yeah, and I'm just like, this is like the, the scourge of, this is like the, you know, the worst man on the planet. You know right, what I mean? Right. And my mom was like, he seems like a really smart boy. Right. You know? And I'm like, yeah, he was. Yeah. You know? And, and there, was, there was a sincerity there, right? So yeah. that to me is like the punk thing, you know? was like, More interesting than the macho, you know, yeah, slam yeah, dancing, yeah, yeah, punching yeah. other guys all yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah. For sure. I was scared of that. I actually oh, didn't too. go to those shows. No, you know? I mean, I'm right there with you. Man. <laughs> I, I kind of, I, I experienced the tail end of that. I went to a couple, like, really hardcore shows where people were punching each other. But then I got into... Um, I got into the Minutemen, and they were Who kind were great. of. I love them, Fucking and the, their audience wasn't really because they were a little weirder and more artistic yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. not so f loud and fast all the time. Yeah, so, yeah. Or the Meat Puppets, I loved. Yeah, and, they were great. And, yeah, you know, yeah. X and this stuff that was yeah. more melodic and more. So, because the because I realized it was pretty clear that all those other bands, a bunch of dudes just wanted to punch each other. Right. And it was like, exactly, yeah. there were no girls in the mosh pit. <laughs> exactly, anywhere, there were no exactly. girls anywhere near that. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, really yeah. Way too male. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I agree with you. And then the, the, the English guys did did stuff that was more nuanced, perhaps. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> and your lyrics and your whole, your whole uh, oeuvre, that's a fancy French word, <laughs> is super nuanced and like so much going on all the time. One of the great things I think that's happening now is that um, black people are just having more forums for, like there's more stuff on TV, there's more music, there's more right, everything right, happening. Right, so right, right. there's just like more teaching moments to say like, right. here's what black people do. They do all, all kinds of shit, every right, different right, kind right, of shit right, that right, you right, do right, or white right. people or Asian. So that's awesome. And I think that your show, Passing Strange, like definitely paved the way for that in some large degree. And it's an amazing I f yeah, I mean, I show. Feel, yeah, I, thank you. I, I feel like we definitely, in terms of black middle class stuff, like I feel like everybody thought that like, well, the only angsty kids, only white kids can be angsty and you know uh james dean-ish and i've got everything and yet i'm still pissed off right mm -hmm. going back That's to the punk rock thing you know yeah. i feel i feel like white people have sort of cornered the market on that and i feel like has there, there been a term black privilege has that term been used it's been used it's been it used okay. i use it a lot okay, i use good. it a lot but it's been used before i used it. i'm not yeah. allowed to say it right. but it sounds like yeah, that's yeah, what you're yeah, talking about yeah yeah but it's like i was like you know, I'm sitting around with my friends going, yeah, we're completely, we are privileged without question. Our parents own the homes we live in. Right. You're and Americans, you live yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All that stuff. Yeah. And yet, we're seeing holes in this system. Sure. We're seeing, seeing holes in the stuff that we're being sold. We're seeing holes in this idea of being, you know, this kind of respectability politics, too. Like, just be, you know. 
just be a good upstanding you know negro and everything will be fine well that is not true anything can happen to you you can be holding i remember a guy in westwood black guy got shot when I was in a teenager, he was holding books in both arms and he got shot in the alleyway in Westwood. So my point is, we were we were more woke than I think a lot of our churches and schools were trying. They were trying to sell us this bag of tricks. Mm-hmm. And we were like, nah, we actually know what's going on. And this shit actually has a lot of holes in it, you know. Yep. It has a whole bunch of holes in it and we're pissed off about it. And and so, yeah, as a, as a result... I I am envious of the the forums as you call them, which is a great word for them. Mm-hmm. Like, because back then we really didn't have. Sure. If you were a black guy in a punk rock T-shirt, man, you could get your ass kicked. Sure. Very easily. We used to have this guy that was uh he was real tall. He was six foot in in middle school. Mm-hmm. Wow. And we used to carry a. <laughs> that, think, there he is, right there. Oh man, I like that. You got to leave that in. <laughs> is that the six foot guy? With... Right, I guess. <laughs> Here he's he like, is. I heard I was on. I heard I was being talked about. So, yeah. So uh, in my middle school, we used to carry a tape recorder, an old school analog tape recorder to school. You know, cassette. Yeah. And we would listen to our, you know, Hendrix. And Led Zeppelin, but we could only listen to it when this guy named David Morgan would come and stand next to us. Wow. Because if we played that without David Morgan standing next to us, the tough guys would come up to us and say, what are you listening to that white boy shit for? And they would want to beat us up. So we literally were like, this is the predominant. Was Hendrix white boy shit too, even though he's black? Of course. Oh, yeah, because he's like a... Because it just like sounded like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, in a you way... To, you had to listen to what, hip-hop or something? This is before this hip-hop. This is way before hip-hop. No. What were you supposed to listen to? We were supposed blues. to be listening to Earth, Wind... No, no, they, right. they weren't, they weren't hip enough to listen to the blues. I wish they okay. were hip enough to listen to the blues. Uh, okay. No, nah, nah, they were, yeah, uh, you know, Earth, Wind, and Fire and all that. Right, right. right. So I'm like, you know... Wow. No, Hendrix, in a sense, so was the even... other black dudes who are the the bullies would be like, "Fuck this!" You can't yeah, listen yeah, to this. yeah. The guys in gangs would be like, "Fuck this!" I mean, uh, I literally almost got a guy killed because this guy he was clearly trying to like come to terms with aspects of his sexuality, and he was like, "Can you loan me one of those?" You know, I heard about this guy David Bowie. Can you loan me one of those David Bowie records wow. if yours? And I said, "Fine." So I gave him Ziggy Stardust, and on the bus he had it on the bus, and these Crips came on the bus and said what's that and they said what is this faggot shit and i mean they were really about to tear this guy up luckily there's a lady like this adult lady kind of got up and said you boys better you know leave him stop leave him alone i was like practically we were practically pissing because they looked at it what is this faggot shit right yeah so i mean it was real back then right so i mean like music could like cause problems oh yeah you know and and so that that has changed quite a lot now you know that has changed quite a lot when you go from there to where you are now it's it's been a long way so i'm very uh happy and envious of all these forums as you call them i think i think it's great but well, there's a couple things that you brought up. One of them is, you know, the, you 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 go pretty hard on a uh, religion in Passing Strange. Like, you, you take it, you, you stick it to him pretty well. Did you get like, uh, did you get some blowback for that? Uh, I. It's so funny you should say that because yeah. I actually got into a very deep conversation about that with a cast member. Yeah. Believe it or not, I uh, never heard much audience stuff, but I was trying my best to pay tribute to where what was exciting about the black church mm-hmm. and what wasn't. Okay. <laughs> you know? And I felt like, you know, basically that's where he, the rock and roll happened in his life. That's where he felt. The character in, in Passing Yeah, Church. yeah. And me. Who is you, yeah. Well, or, it was sort, sort of, of me. you, yeah. Yeah, but 
I was trying to pay tribute to that thing the church did, which is where we got, you know, all this from. Sure. Gospel and, uh, and yeah. yeah, I was trying to pay tribute to that. And yeah, I mean, it's funny. I, I, would, I haven't seen it in a very long time. Well, so I've I been listening how... to it lately, and I, I feel like you definitely like, uh, maybe this is my interpretation, oh, but there's like the fashion show with the no, shoes. You know and yeah, yeah, yeah. It's well, like, you know what? Yeah. There's no soul, and it's kind of bullshit. And yeah, I don't yeah, know yeah, what your yeah. beliefs are, but no, I, I it know, resonated I, for me. <laughs> no, 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 no. You're right. You're right. You know what it was? It was the anger. I think it was the anger, because I'm actually writing about this in this thing I told you about earlier. This kid's anger at the church has to do, I think, he is seeing the effect it's having on his mom and right. him. He's seeing this restricted area that it's become for him, and it's become this area that his mom is terrified to even venture into. Hmm. But at the same time, she has to send him off every Sunday because this is the area that's going to make him a good man. So she didn't go. Right. She sent you. Right. Because she didn't believe or what? Because uh, pressure, female pressure, pressure on women to be perfect. She was really, really, I mean, if you see the play, it's really... You know, I, I saw it. It's but, like like yeah. like like she talks about she talks about catty church bitches. Yeah, you know she felt a pressure to be perfect. They, she felt like you know they were critical, hypercritical, yeah. which is the case. Yeah. Right? So you have this woman who didn't feel like she could meet up to their you know standards. See, financially, you know, we weren't in as great a position as you know. It's that whole kind of classic middle class sure. thing where you're like faking it, you know. Yeah. And your credit cards are getting maxed out and stuff, you yeah. know. So we didn't actually have you know the amount of money that we all that that they made the kids think they had. Mm. And you know, it's a longer, deeper story. But the point is, there was a pressure to be perfect. Wow. And she had internalized all that like pressure to be perfect for women. Yeah. Guy could show up looking like anything. Yeah. But women could not show up huh. to church looking like anything. And no joke, that church was unforgiving. Wow. Uh, so she and the kids saw the madness of, my God, you're terrified of coming to this place for being judged, fear of being judged. The same space where you're telling me to go to become a good person. Right. Kids are too smart for that. Yeah. You can't pull that crap. You know? Right. And you right? wrote another song that's like, I can't, I forget exactly, but it's like, I can't believe black people. Why do black people believe in, still right, believe right. in God? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I feel like you've, You've kind of stuck it to that, the hypocrisy no, yeah, yeah, of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's Maybe, true. That's I mean, true. That's true. No, you are. But correct. that, no, that you part are right. of it about your mother, I didn't. I was not aware of, and that's that's yeah, deep, yeah. man. That's I, complicated. Yeah, it's, yeah. Religion is a scream. The drug of the oppressed. What keeps man from making revolution? Religion works the best. I stand before my culture, puzzled, stunned, and awed. It amazes me that we still believe in God. And you are right about the the, the part from the total the, the play the total bent. Why do black people believe in God? I guess yeah. I am. You're reminding me now because I don't listen to my own stuff. But you're, <laughs> you're reminding me. Yes, you're right. I am hard on it, and the reason I'm hard on it is because of that that yeah. situation with my mom. I'm also hard on it because it we get sold this bag of goods, both media. And I think a lot of black people do it as well, where like, yes, this this unapproachable, unimpeachable black church that is this pillar of unity and support, mm -hmm. you know, and love. And it's like any other social group in mm -hmm. the United States or the world. There are pressures. There are standards. 
it's not as open and as free. I can remember getting off the the, the plane in London and seeing a man with what we would call in my community nappy hair. Mm-hmm. This was in the in the eighties, and I remember looking at him and going, "He wouldn't be allowed in my church." Wow. Because they'd be like, no, you got to go home and get, you know, you got to go home and do something about that hair, right? Hmm. But because he was from a Caribbean, you know, West Indian, you know, or West African, you know, culture, his hair was fine yeah. to him. Because he was also carrying a briefcase and wearing a three-piece suit. Right. He was a lawyer. Yeah. But he had what we would call nappy hair. And I looked at him like, this, this, wow. It's like, he looked like freedom to me. Yeah. Like, he looked like freedom. So there were so many restrictions yeah. on the... I mean, you have no idea. I mean, like Rasta, the whole Rasta look, what that was saying to all those uptight Jamaicans, mm-hmm. it was terrifying them. Yeah. You know? It was terrifying black Jamaicans, yeah. too. Yeah. Not just white Jamaicans. It was terrifying yeah. black Jamaicans because we're not supposed to look like that. Right. We're not supposed to show that stuff, right? right. So for me, yeah, I am hard on it because I, I don't I don't think it, I don't think religion operates in the way that everyone likes to say it does. Right. It's not just support. Another thing that I find interesting in passing strangers is this really fun kind of like the dude needs to get laid. Like he's going to Europe and he's he's so excited about finding sex and it occurred to me when listening to to that and, and watching the show and a lot some other stuff in your music that this might be a stretch but i feel like musicians and terrorists have something in common in that they are being <laughs> they're they're most they're usually their initial impulse is to get laid <laughs> so talk amongst yourselves <laughs> well well Funny because the get laid thing, even though it sounds like something that some you know rock and roll songwriter kind kind of guy would say, Baldwin actually said that. Baldwin said nobody goes over to Europe except with the intention of getting laid. Like right. that's ultimately what we're looking yeah. for. So <laughs> that's the first thing. Secondly, um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I have thought that terrorists and, and and musicians in particular have had a lot of interesting things in common. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I mean, I, 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 usually I say it in a humorous way, but yes, there is a kind of, um, there is a kind of kamikaze right. aspect right. to the choices. I don't know, know where I'm going for, with that. It no, just kind of came I'm, to me. What's frightening is that I understand. <laughs> I, mean, I just love, um, I just love in Passing Strange. I just love, you know, the idea of going to Europe. I did the same thing. I sort of went back to Europe as a teenager. I, I was grew up mm. there as a kid and then went to, back to the States, Orange County, you know, mm-hmm. Southern California. Then ended up back in, in Europe in uh, as a teenager and then back in, uh, after college. And what struck me, and one thing I want to ask you about, is the idea of freedom, right? So, like, Americans are so fucking hung up on being free and we're free, we're free, we're free. When you first get to Europe as an American, you're like, America is the most unfree place I could ever think of in my life. Know, yeah. They know nothing know. about freedom. No, Here's freedom. I see it's, it now. It's, no, it's it's totally. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah, it's that, crazy. that's crazy. Yeah. I, I had a I, <laughs> no, it's really it's really true. I, I can remember how my days felt. Yeah. You know, I can, th- and how my days feel if I go right now. Yeah. When I get off the plane and I get into a taxi and I'm heading for either my, my daughter's house or my ex's. Your daughter's in Germany. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
there's a calm that comes yeah. over me when I'm in that cab because I know for the next seven or 14 days, I'm going to be hanging out at places with my friends, mm-hmm. drinking some coffee, having some beer, and talking yeah. like we talked about before in the movies, you know? Right. And just like hanging and going to see stuff, and it just won't be so stressful. And I wish, look, I love New York. And, you know, I like so many wonderful American cities. I mean, I New do. York is a good place. Don't, yeah, don't, yeah. Go, don't get that, me wrong. New yeah, York's but, got it going on. Yeah, but, yeah. but that, but that, there is, there is, there was a summer, and I know this is probably off topic, but there was a summer where I made a mistake. I was, I went, I moved back in 2010 after Passing Strange. 20, uh, um, Passing moved Strange. back where? To Berlin. Oh, you did. Yeah, I didn't so, realize that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, because um, we didn't mention. Do you speak it, German? Bad German, yeah. It, it, okay. Yeah, yeah. It gets better after a few beers. <laughs> okay. So, um, but I had lived there before, which yeah. we haven't talked about, but we didn't have to. But that's what where passing. Well, strange I know comes because the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The story of passing strange is you go there uh, as a pretty young guy, right? Yeah, twenty-ish. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, but like, um, so I went back and you know made one of those mistakes that artists sometimes make, where, oh yeah, I'm gonna do this show. Or, no, we're going to do this thing, and we're going to get this big check, right, from some institution. Well, so we refused all this other work, me and Heidi. And then the big check that was supposed to come in the beginning of summer didn't come. Mm-hmm. So I actually, like, here I am, Mr. Broadway dude. Mm-hmm. And I had this, like, broke summer in Berlin, right? <laughs> but you know what happened? Uh, it was, like, the best summer of my adult life. Because it was like, oh, yeah, the bread is good, and it costs 30 cents. <laughs> right. And... The chicken, you know, is I go to the Turkish market to buy the chicken and it's cheap as hell. And then my friends come over and we just pour some white wine in it. And, and right. next thing we know, we're having the best time. And I was like, this is crazy. You know, yeah. this is actually and I, I I hate to be that guy, you know, at the dinner party who's talking about how great Europe is. I, I know. And, and, and I know the way things are going now. Yeah. Everybody can counter with this is happening. That is happening. That is definitely happening. Sure. That stuff is happening. But that doesn't so far affect the way the bread tastes. It doesn't affect the way the bread tastes. Another thing I always like to kind of use to explain the difference. I don't. I don't smoke cigarettes, but like you cannot smoke and drink in the same place in America. For some reason, the laws <laughs> seem set up that no matter what the fuck you're doing, you will never smoke and drink in the same, same right, place. Right, Meaning, right. you'll smoke outside. Fine, you drink your beer in the bar. The second you bring your beer outside and try to smoke a cigarette, you'll have like the right. Gestapo on you. And like, I don't care. I don't need to smoke and drink in the same place. But why? Yeah, yeah, like in yeah, this, yeah, in yeah. Europe. If you need to drink your beer outside because you're smoking, go drink your yeah, beer outside. Yeah, yeah, no yeah, one cares. It's a silly, but it just makes me think that maybe the 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 way we prioritize our rules is a little off here in the states. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, <laughs> well that, yeah. I think there's a little bit of that for sure. And I also, I mean, I don't know why it is the way it is. I just know that the way I feel, you know, the way I feel, the calm. That really, I mean, I can, I can. It's physical. And, yeah. I, and and I just, there's a pace. Berlin, I see more dance in Berlin than I do in New York, even though there's way more dance in New York. Because in New York, just walking out and getting into the subway, someone wants to, going to work is work in oh, New York. Oh, yeah, it is. I know. In Berlin, I see all this stuff because you just walk out and the train's going to be working and the, you just... The bus, whatever, everything works. You know what yeah. I mean? There's no giant crowd. People in people in Berlin don't wait in lines and restaurants. There's never a line. There's and yeah. then there's gonna be a place across the square. 
yeah. it's gonna be just as good. So it's just the, the pace is just it's just it's just different. I love it. We're going me and my nine year old are going to hang out with my daughter in July. Great. We're also going to hang out in LA and I'm very interested in seeing what his nine year old impression is gonna be of LA versus Berlin. I'm very he hasn't been to LA yet? He has hasn't been hasn't been yet. Interesting. Yeah, so it's gonna be uh, I love LA now. I, I I was ran from it screaming, but right. I love it now because I know exactly where to go. You know? Yeah. I know just where to go. I, don't I love it too. You know, I love I it. don't waste any time. I know where my friends are. I know where I want to eat. All the important things. You like driving? Uh, I don't even know how to drive. I'm, okay. Ray, I'm, Ray, I'm the black Ray Bradbury. Uh, you know. <laughs> what does that mean? Ray Bradbury doesn't know how to drive. Oh, really? Yeah. I was like, you like to burn books. <laughs> um, but that's well. So if somebody else is driving you around, then that's that's it makes it easier to love well, LA. Well, 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 right? Drive riding apps were invented for Los Angeles. Yeah. All of my friends now in LA, they're like, yeah, now we can drink. Yeah, it's cool. Now we can go out. Lyft, Uber, whatever. Yeah. That's great. That's definitely an improvement. I want to talk about something else, which is your um, partnership with Heidi mm-hmm. R- Rodewald. Rodewald? Uh, listen to you, tune the, the, the German pronunciation. Rodewald. Rodewald. Heidi Rodewald. Yeah. Heidi Rodewald. <laughs> That's what it is, yeah. It's the most German name in the world. Right? <laughs> it is. Heidi of the Burned Forest. Is that know? right? Rodewald. <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah, Rodewald. Rodewald. So you and Heidi have have been collaborating forever and yeah. and have been partners in many ways for years and, yes and you're still it's i think it's fantastic the way you continue to make yeah. music and, and yeah. you guys did work on passing strange together and yeah other stuff it's just cool and i think um i want to know like how if there's been challenges about that sort of, of course transitioning from being a couple to being of course people that work no, together he- Huge challenges in every way. There's there's always challenges. Yeah. When you have been with the person that long, you know. Yeah. Um, it's it's just to me, it's just luck. I mean, I feel extremely fortunate and lucky to have found someone who, you know, like understands the most important thing in my life. Actually, she understands the two most important things in my life, which are you know she knows my kids and she understands me as an artist i don't care that somebody loves my music especially a fellow musician if they love my music that's great but that doesn't make you a collaborator understanding is what makes you a collaborator and we grew up listening to the same la soul station followed by the same you know caro q back when it was really really good. i was gonna ask you about caro when it was really really good i loved caro q in the 80s exactly all all that richard blade richard blade oh my god (laughs) rodney on the rock remember rodney oh rodney was (laughs) life-changing oh my god rodney was life-changing richard blade richard blade richard blade and then he became a vj on mtv (laughs) richard blade anyway so she and i just grew up Loving the same things, mm-hmm. knowing how to. I can like leave. Heidi's a person where I can leave the studio for two days and know that everything's going to be mixed cool. The sounds are going to be. We all like the same plate reverb from whatever late 60, mid 60s song, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, Heidi's the kind of person who'll be like, you know, hey, sing that song in your other voice. I'm like, what voice are you talking about? I'm singing it. I got two voices. I got my loud voice and my soft voice. And she's like, no, sing it in the voice you use when you wash dishes. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. You know, and then I did that. And I'm like, oh, that. You know, like, that's kind of, per- you know what I mean? When wow. you have that kind of rapport, when I know that I can just be like, hey, can you write a medium tempo song to these lyrics? And then she does. You that's know? amazing. And it's just like, that's, uh, this is lucky, man. You don't, 
I tell my students all the time, they're like, what's the secret? You know, I'm like, I don't know. But I do know the more people you get around you who understand you, yeah, what you, the better. That's, I wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't have this. She and I, when the, when the, when the people give it up and decide to forget about band life and go to real jobs, it was just me and her. And we were like, we were the Negro problem and we still are, you know, mm. it's just luck. That's it's amazing. It's just luck, man. Total luck. What's the process? Is it mostly like, do you, is it you do lyrics mostly or you do both? Or like, I do both. I do both. Yeah. And what we do is, you know, depending on what um, show it is, I mean, I'll just, I like having it different. You know, she's a different kind of writer than me. And so I just, yeah, I'll just be like, okay, I'm doing these. And then here's some lyrics for you, you know? Mm -hmm. And then we just, or she'll send me some music and I'll try to, you know. Mm -hmm. It's just that same stuff. You're always kind of rewriting. You know, Neil Young said you only have two songs, the loud one and the soft one. Mm -hmm. And it's certainly the case with Neil. And uh, <laughs> I, I think he has three. I think he has the loud one, the soft one, and the piano one. Right. You know? <laughs> but uh, but uh, it's like we're basically, you know, we're basically trying to write that same sort of fifth dimension. Yeah. Beatles. Arthur Lee Love. Did you tour with Love or yeah, something? Man. Yeah, man. That, that was holy crap. How was in, that? In England, man. Wow. I the best story I have is is going to uh, getting off at at Heathrow and going to the you know the border guys and them asking for our, our papers. Mm -hmm. Handed them our papers, our work permit mm -hmm. with playing with Arthur Lee. At yeah. this really fancy Royal English Hall, whatever, and they said, "I'm sorry, you'll have to wait right here." <laughs> and we're like, "Oh, fuck. Uh -oh. it's canceled. It's we're not gonna yeah. do something." The border guy goes away and gets two border guys. They converge on us, and I'm like, "This is it. We're done. The biggest, the biggest tour of our lives is over." Oh no! They look at us and they go, you, "You're playing with Arthur Lee, yeah?" And we're like, "Yes." What's he like? <laughs> they were fans. Oh, yeah. The, we had 50,000 people behind us waiting to get into England, and every border guy <laughs> came to us and said, so what, are you in the band? Are you, what are you doing? We're opening for him. Oh, you're opening for him. Oh, did he choose you? Yeah. I go, yeah, he did. Wow. And th we had four... <laughs> Two, three guys, and then a fourth guy comes over. They were at their post. They're losing their minds. They were at their post, getting people into the country. And they're the like, country. "You're gonna have to wait." You're they made wait. these people wait. We were like, <laughs> I was like, Shh. I mean, I wasn't even. I didn't realize until afterwards what had happened because I thought this is it. Yeah. You know, we're getting sent back. Yeah. Wow. Forget about it, man. That was unbelievable going through England with him. It was unbelievable. It was like a royal homecoming. Like the, you know, the king had come back. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Oh my god. It was the best. Yeah. Unbelievable. Wow. What an experience! Yeah, did you have like personal kind of interaction with him? Yeah, I mean, I mean, he was. I mean, Arthur, Arthur was nuts, right? I yeah. mean, Arthur was nuts. Yeah. Arthur was very nuts. But yeah. um, the yeah, like like you know, I did. I I went into him in Edinburgh, and I was like, yeah, man, you're like, you know, I was kind of, and he was sort of like caught off guard, and he was sort of weird, and then. The next night he came over and apologized, like, yeah, you just caught me off guard, man. I, I couldn't, you know. And then one night he's like, I want to see Stu. And like the band that he was playing with, like, he wants to see you, man. We don't know what it's all about. And I walk, <laughs> and I walk into the Jesse room, and there's like, the Jesse was like packed with all these people. And he goes, yeah, man, you know those songs? And then he names like three of our songs. He goes, 
Those are really great songs. Oh, that's amazing. That's <laughs> I was beautiful. Just like, okay. That is so Because we cool. worshiped a guy. Oh, yeah. Since I was in high school, How could man. You not? I bought yeah. for, I bought Forever Changes for 25 cents at Aaron's Records across from Fairfax. Yeah. Took it home and was like, what? Because, you know, Hendrix know. was Hendrix. Hendrix was Hendrix. But, but Hendrix wasn't like, you know, I worshiped Sid Barrett. See, I worshiped yeah. the flowery, the, yeah. the major chords. And Hendrix, let's face it, he was great, but he was a great musician. Right. The songs weren't exactly right. Right, the songs were crafted. Yeah, like... yeah. And when I heard Arthur, I was just like, "Oh my God, man, really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> this guy exists." I know. You know, it was just like it's really, yeah. And the orchestration and so yeah. like uh, the whole thing. Yeah, it's amazing. Wow, what a what a cool experience. This actually brings me up something else. So you've done all this theater stuff. Obviously, you did Passing Strange. You did this other play. You're talking about. You continue to do theater. Was there like a theater influence for you when you were growing up? Like, what's your None. connection to None. that? None. We just it just happened. Joe's pub. Joe's pub is located in the public theater. Right, but you but your music really, really lends itself to theater and well, it's I, storytelling. I think I think I think that was again, luck. <laughs> yeah. Because Bill Bragan, the guy who Oh yeah, I know used Bill. To, yeah, Joe yeah. Joe's pub. Yeah. So Bill um said you know, we me, we have a story. We but we, we our our the the passing strange, um birth story we we have a we have a disagreement as to how it goes my version is i lied and said yeah you know we're working on a musical and bill was like because we were playing joe's pup yeah and i'm like yeah we're working on a musical and he's like oh send me oh, some you songs were playing you were doing a concert there as, yeah as, yeah we used, okay. to, we used to play there regularly right oh uh send me some songs and i was like oh like Oops, you know, I was just telling a lie the way songwriters songwriters always lie and say they're sure. writing a musical. Yeah. They always do that. Especially if there's some you know, someone around there trying to impress. That right? cares, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm like, I didn't and then, and then on the plane back, I was like, My guy, Bill, says he wants to hear some songs. You were living in LA at the time we were and you in came LA. to New York to play. Okay, got we it. We would come to New York, we'd do a little East Coast tour or whatever. Oh, got it, yeah. And I was like, That guy Bill Bragan said, um, he wants to hear some songs. Why did you say that? Why did I say what? That you were writing a musical. Because I just felt like that's what songwriters do. They lie about what they're, you know, they always some, they always say some shit. You must have had something in the back of your mind that's I like, nothing. I could do this. I had no? nothing. I, I, was, okay. I was just trying to sound cool. Okay. You know? You say that shit at parties <laughs> okay. or whatever. Yeah, you know, I'm working on, you know, I'm writing a book. Right. You're either writing a book or you're right. doing a musical. That's just right. the lie you tell at the party, right? Right. So um, he, like, took me up on it. So on the plane back, I'm like, what are we going to do? And she's like... <laughs> Better start writing some songs, I guess, I and start it. writing a play. That was literally how it began. That is so bizarre because when I listen to your stuff, it feels like you've been writing a musical since like you started. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know? uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's just, it's just, it's just whether Bill would say, "Yeah, I heard something," or whether Bill would just be like, "No, I just said what the hell, let's do it." Yeah, it had a story. The song, the music had a storytelling right. quality. So, and some question. of the songs from the Negro Problem ended up in Passing Strange. They did, yeah, or like two, were two or three. Massaged yeah. into yeah, it. yeah, yeah. They yeah. were, yeah. So I mean, I guess you could say, yeah, that Bill heard it. He probably wouldn't have come up to just any band that had been playing Joe's Pub because we were one of the many bands playing. Right. right. So yeah, I must. He would probably say, well, of course, yeah, I heard the storytelling capabilities but it wasn't his job to green he didn't have the power to green light green light it he just brought us to the guys the joe's pub office his office was located right in the middle of all the theater stuff 
Like he didn't have like a yeah. separate office. Like it was just he was just he was an office right like in the midst cubicle. of yeah. all the public theaters. Well, it wasn't a cubicle. It was right. like your real office. Yeah. But but it was surrounded by. So we went up there and like, oh, okay, so this is a public theater. I, I you know I didn't know anything yeah. about theater. I knew nothing. Huh. And um, I just thought it was a hoot. And it's kind of like for me, it reminds me of how I imagined the early days of record business was when you could actually develop. Right. Like. You know, I turned in the first draft that I know was horrific. Yeah. You know, it was wow. it was horrific. And they were just like, Yeah, let's just see what yeah, we do a workshop here, do a workshop there. And they were just like and it was before this like I think they were just well, quite frankly, they passed on Hed Hedwig, and oh, I think okay. they were like, "Okay, let's like listen a little let's harder not mess next that time." Up again. Next time ah, a rock and roll thing, next time a rock and roll thing comes through, so they just like let us play around. And when did Annie Dorson get involved? Annie was involved almost from the beginning. Okay, I mean, from she was definitely involved from the beginning of, like they said, "Let's do this with you guys," and then they said, "We need to get, uh, you know, we need to get you a director." Wow. And Annie came in, and she was perfect. So um, it all... And uh, I'm going to reveal something here that I think is very telling, um, and I hope I don't piss anybody off. But after our success, after Passing Strange's success, the public tried to link up directors and bands. Oh, really? To create musicals. Huh. And none of them happened. Oh. And they didn't happen because the songwriters weren't good. And they didn't happen because the directors weren't good. I think they didn't happen because the directors were not willing to get into the rock yeah. band's mind. Right. Instead, the director was like, here's how you make theater. Right. You don't know anything about theater. Yeah. And Annie was like, I want to know what you guys... Yeah. Just do something, and then I'm going to frame that, right? I don't think there was anything in Broadway before where it was like a band That's was the saying. main yeah, yeah, focus yeah. of yeah, it. Yeah, 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 exactly. It was exactly, really exactly. New. And the thing is, she wasn't like, okay, we got to do this and we got to make it like that. And yeah. of course it drove like the the theater official people. They were like, well, aren't you going to do this? You need some slides. We need this. We can't do that. We got to have, you mm -hmm. know. And it was like, no, we're just going to have this wall. And like the, the lighting, like the wall behind us mm -hmm. had been rejected uh by every other show that the lighting designer tried to get it in. <laughs> and he basically was based on, like, it was influenced by Liza with a Z, her uh, TV show, right? Okay. So um, so he was like, yeah, nobody ever wanted this. It's my favorite thing. And we were like, oh, yeah, we want it. It looks nice and garish and crazy. So um, the point is, I mean, we love that light wall. But the point is um, we were allowed to be, like, Annie's genius was in going i want to see what will happen what how you like she would always say like how would you move you know like mm -hmm. like and you know the smartest thing in the world is like at the time i'm you know what i was 40 mid 40s but i'd been moving on stages since i was in high school mm -hmm. telling a guy like me it's like telling some like elephant how to you know what i mean it's like a train you don't want to train an elephant for right. a circus you just let the elephant you know it's yeah. like a hippie circus let the elephant move and well, yeah. the light will follow him you know what i mean right. that was the smartest thing in the world oh, telling me well, yeah. you know what I mean? No one can tell you how to move on a stage. You know, right. I mean, you're going to hold a guitar this way. Right. And if someone tries to tell you, It'll it's going to suck. Wacky. Yeah, it'll it'll look wacky. It'll look horrible. Yeah. And no one will like it, and you won't be having fun. That's great. So, so, and none of those other projects, I think, did that. You know? Yeah. They were like, here's how to make theater, folks. Right. And that's what worked about it. It was just yeah. like, yeah, it worked. So, okay. Now we're going to get into sort of wrapping up, but I wanted to like rapid fire get into some 
sure. political questions. Okay, this is we one haven't of, talked about anything political yet. We have already, <laughs> which is fun. But uh, now I'm just going to throw random questions at you. Sure. What do you think about the word branding? Uh, do you have any annoys, thoughts on that word? It, it annoys me. Okay. It Why? annoys me uh, because just the idea of branding alone. I always think of a hot piece of steel on Ex- my on my ass. You Thank know? you. Um, that's exactly. the first thing, and that I'm stuck with. Exactly. I'm stuck with the brand. So if we're branding something, that implies to me that we are that. Right. And I'm just like, mm, nah. I will recoil. Yeah. When someone says that to me. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> just I don't know. It's just so. It's one of my. And pet I'm peeves. dealing with it because you know we have someone now who's doing our trying to get us to be more online friendly right. and stuff. And they use the word branding. They and have to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have to. But I feel like it's it's kind of an obnoxious and important thing to keep reminding people what that fucking word means. Yeah. <laughs> it means people poking <laughs> you with hot metal, or burning yeah. your skin. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. And something that doesn't leave you. Right, like you have been branded this, so now you can't do that. And originally, it's because some it's because you own an animal or a person. Right, <laughs> that's right. why exactly. they're branded. Exactly, exactly. You know, very good. Let's point. just very be good clear reminder. about that. Yeah, yeah, that's a very good reminder. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, that's a good reminder. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's a little fun thing I like to talk about. Um, all right, another question. So. Things are like a little crazy right now in America, and uh, you know we're kind of on the edge here. Democracy is being stretched. How would you know? This is sort of a doomsday scenario. How would you know when you definitely would have to leave? Like it's it's too fucked up to stay here anymore, and you have to leave. <laughs> like take your child and you know go somewhere else. Right. Um, uh, I, I'm trying to figure out a way to answer this i would probably i would know when when there was a consensus among <laughs> this is very i would want to get a well well i'm glad you can edit <laughs> <laughs> i would like to get a consensus among people who have come from countries that have been on the brink of this kind of darkness that you're talking about. And I'd want to talk to some, quite frankly, I'd want to talk to some very, the oldest people in the community. Right. Of all the communities. I'd like to talk to some old African-American folks. I'd like to talk to some old Jews, quite frankly. Yep. I'd like to, it would be consensus, I think. Mm -hmm. Because I think what I, I mean, obviously, I have, as a black man, I have a relationship to police. Right. That's my sort of like, dance i don't really think so much about what the government said right you know i think of more like what's on literally on the street sure so but i also go to places and eat in restaurants where i see policemen of every you know like i go to a lot of halal places so i see you know policemen you know brown-skinned policemen all the time yeah if police stuff started to feel a certain way mm-hmm. in New York. Yes. That's the thing. I think if I'm feeling something here, right. there's a problem. This is the coal mine. Like, in a sense, we're in the coal yes. Mine. I mean, in yeah. a sense, we will not... The, the scary part about your scenario is yeah. we might not know. Right, because Because everybody last. out there... Yeah, we're yeah, last. We're everybody last. out there is experiencing something 
and we're going, well, you know, I'm, still, too bad. I'm yeah. still hanging out at Barbez, right? right so, exactly. so, so it's like Barbez is still open, so I guess everything is fine. You know? Exactly. And that's kind of how I measure things, right? Exactly. When Bar- maybe the when answer Barbez is when Barbez gets shut down when by the police, closes, hey, we gotta get know, the fuck out. You know? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I mean, you know, that's, that's, that's well, part that's of good. it. It's really part answer. of it. That's a Please, big part Olivier, of it. keep Barbez open. No, really. When he went, I was, when he left, I'm like, oh, I no. I know. No, he's not, doing, he's not going anywhere. Right. Um, except France. Right. Um, okay. So, <laughs> another, so this is my little speed round. If you're at a restaurant or something, say you like live in D.C. or you're in D.C. or you're here or whatever, you're, and for some reason you're at a restaurant and one table over, the most heinous politicians that we talked about before are sitting there quietly with their, or uh, here, let me just, actually, let me switch this. You go to, for some reason you get invited to a dinner party, the rap party of your successful show and in comes blank. What do you say to them? In comes Mitch McConnell. For some reason, he showed up at the dinner party. You can He's talk at to my him. party? He's at a dinner party that you were invited to. You guys are both guests. Oh no. Guests? I, I say nothing. Really? Yeah. You don't say anything? No. Why not? Because you're being polite. No, because I just don't really. I mean, no. I, I, yeah, I mean, I. You don't I, have something to say to him, like you don't have that, something you need to get off your mind. I, I mean, I certainly don't have anything to say to him that hasn't already come across his desk. Uh, probably like you know, like a hundred thousand times a day. No, okay. No, so somebody I, brings I Sarah Huckabee Sanders to your dinner party. Uh, well, you picked the wrong person because I'm actually fascinated by her. Oh, you are? I would want to... She's like... It's people like her and Clarence Thomas that I want to make like a song cycle about. Okay. Because she thinks that Trump is sent by God. And right. she's doing God's work. And yeah. she actually believes that. Sure. So actually, I would treat her extremely... I would do the opposite of what those people in right. restaurants, Applebee's, and wherever... Right. I would do the exact opposite. I would try to make her... <coughs> Really as com- comfortable. As comfortable as possible, and I would want to talk to her as much as possible. And I would actually, and this people are going to hate me and stop buying my records by the thousands as they do right now. <laughs> uh, uh, stop downloading my records free by the thousands. Uh, I'd want to be, I'd actually want to be, she's so weird, I would actually want to be her friend. Right. Like, I want to be Clarence Thomas's friend. Okay. Like, I don't know if I'm a good enough actor Right. To be both of their friends, because yeah. I think they'll know, you're just researching for a show, aren't you? And I'm like, right. yeah, I really am. I really think you're fucking crazy, right? But I wish I was a good enough actor to be, I would be friends with her. That's a, an amazing nope. answer. I love that answer. That's really fascinating. I wouldn't want to be friends with Mitch. What about Alex Jones? You know who that guy is? Oh, that guy, I'm scared of him. Yeah, he's I don't scary. want him to know my... <laughs> you don't know want to know where he... You don't want him to know where you live. No, no, yeah, no, him scared. I'm scared of him. Some cats, I mean, like, I would, like, I think turn and... Paul, if, if I saw Paul oh, Ryan, Paul I Wright. would turn and run. I'm scared. He's like a... He's actually like a d- devil to me. Like, he's like... He scares me. He just scares me. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't want to... Like, I don't want to eat close to my kid. I just want to, like, get oh, yeah. away. I just want to yeah. get away. All right. Well, that's an amazing answer. I, I was not expecting that. But I do want to ask you, like, what's your next thing that you're working on? Uh, oh, God, we're working work? on a lot of different stuff. We're doing a series of shows at Joe's Pub. Speaking of Joe's Pub, we're coming back. We haven't been there in ages. Heidi and I are coming back to Joe's Pub with a series of monthly shows where we're going to be doing songs from shows that haven't been done in New York or shows that were done in New York so long ago, they need to be done again. Really? Yeah, so that's a monthly thing we're going to do. 
And we're gonna songs from existing shows that we did, like in Oregon Shakespeare Festival. We did a play called Family. Oh, your shows. Oh, shows. Okay, I gotcha. Yeah, yeah. We did a show called Family Album in Oregon Shakespeare Festival. Was Christian Gibbs involved in that? Christian Gibbs was totally involved. Okay, cool. In Family Album and was amazing. He's a great actor, actually. That's Um, right. He told me. You know. You know how he described his acting. I stood where I was supposed to stand, and words came out of my mouth. <laughs> Which I think is great. No, he's great. He's amazing. He's a he's a big hero of mine. I love oh, me guy. too. Uh, yeah, family album, Brooklyn Omnibus, a song cycle we did way back in 2010. Um, uh, we're gonna do something from some of the work I've written for colleges. Um, we're gonna do a lot. Uh, Mosquito Net, a play we did in Abu Dhabi. And this is all gonna be at Joe's Pub. Monthly, yeah, 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 monthly, yeah, 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 monthly from shows. July to from like July to January. Once a month, you once a show. month, yeah. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, yeah. Very cool. yeah, so that's our that's one thing, and then we're mm. always working on shows. I'm I'm trying to I'm writing a book, which sounds pretentious, uh, but uh, I'm yeah, writing... I know you have to say that to be cool. <laughs> right, right. Another lie that I told that someone took me up on. Now you, know? you have to write it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're always writing. We're always writing shows, and we're always writing like you know we're always making song cycles and stuff. We don't really want to do theater anymore because it takes too long. Yeah, it's easier just to write the show. It's just like a concert, you know, and okay. with some banter in between, like native song, you know. Yeah, I want to do another. I want to write another show about another iconic African American, and I'm thinking about actually maybe doing Richard Wright since he was sort of like the foil the, uh, for uh, Baldwin. But yeah, and, and then I also someone will steal this if I say this, but actually I don't care if they do because I don't know if I can get my shit together. I might want to write something about Clarence Thomas. Right, you're you saying know, that. I, That's I just, pretty I'm cool. Just, yeah, him and Condoleezza fascinate me. I, the, these are the kind of people that... Because the thing about Clarence Thomas and Condoleezza, I actually think it's the black conservatives that should step up. What about and, Colin Powell? Colin Powell. He's Colin, not even that conservative. Yeah, 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 yeah. But Colin, too. Colin yeah, Powell, yeah. Condoleezza, and Clarence Thomas yeah. should be the ones who go to these inner-city schools, Yeah, these these uh, these metal detector schools, Yeah, and inspire these kids. Now, do you know why? Yeah. Because these people actually believe in this system right i don't right so when i i'm the kid i'm the guy that gets the yeah brings to he'll go you know what i mean i talk to these schools yeah but i feel like a hypocrite right. because i'm trying to tell some kid who's actually smarter than me yeah he knows exactly what time it is how am i going to get him to believe in the american dream when i don't believe in it right but condoleezza and clarence they actually are crazy enough to believe in this so i'm right. like hey audacity of craziness you know sure. go you guys go and do the work all these liberal guys like me are going to these schools because we're bleeding hard and we think we're doing something but right. the kids look at us and go dude i know what you were doing in yeah, high but school you know what you're doing you're writing songs and hopefully you vote too i don't know if you vote yeah i vote but i'm just saying <laughs> but i'm just saying i'm 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 looking at the black conservatives like come do correct something. Yeah, come yeah, correct yeah. put your put your money where your mouth is you know come and talk to these kids who are really dealing with real deal shit who are dealing with police killing them all day, and you you talk to them and make them believe because I can't make them believe. I just because I don't believe in it. Yeah, I, I can tell them something else, but I'm not sure. Well, that's why Michelle Obama's tour was such a mass, smashing success. Yeah, she believes. I think she's. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. That's yeah. a great example. Yeah, yeah. Well, Stu, this has been amazing. Thank you so much. I could interview you, man. I'm a big Brisson uh, <laughs> fan, but that's another. You have to come on my podcast. Actually. I love it. Okay, yeah, let's okay. do it. All right. Thanks, Stu. All right, dude. All right. Later, 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 later. later. All right, that was my conversation with Stu. That was really enjoyable. I loved talking to him. 
and I really dig all the stuff he's doing. So go check out all his music, the soundtrack to Passing Strange, all his solo music, all the stuff with Stu and the Negro Problem. It's all online and available, and he's doing show in July, and June and July, I believe, at Joe's Pub. So check it all out. meantime I just want to check into the political situation real quickly to say that my latest uh, insight has been from reading and listening to some lectures by Noam Chomsky and Slavoj Žižek who are two philosophers that don't always get along with each other and they both have slightly different perspectives but their basic premise makes a lot of sense to me right now and it's kind of actually comforting to me to see the overarching kind of plan with what's going on in America. I think the Republican Party has decided wholeheartedly to be the party of corporate power. So their whole agenda is based on corporate power, but to maintain power, they need to be elected by the population that they don't serve at all because they actually serve the corporate interest completely exclusively so they have managed uh very very astutely especially lately through the personality and rhetoric of donald trump to manage they've managed to dupe sucker a huge swath of the population into voting for them and keeping them in power even though they are only interested in passing legislation that specifically keeps the money in the hands of the elite and the rich so How have they done that? By pretending to be concerned with specific social cultural issues like abortion, gun rights, gay marriage, things that really don't matter at all to the the really bottom line, which is just keeping the money in the hands of the elite of the power structure. Unfortunately, Democrats are getting mired in the, the sort of Keystone cop style corruption that Trump and his people are up to. Um, his, his involvement with Russia really just for the sake of enriching himself and also, and then his subsequent really ridiculous cover-up and obstruction of justice. All this is real stuff that he's done that's illegal and not worth doing, but it just sort of distracts from the really what's really going on, which is we have a government that's run by corporations and by Wall Street. So we have to figure out how to fix that. And there are a few candidates, there are actually a lot of candidates out there who seem really enlightened about that and and are are willing to take steps to try to fix it. And they all happen to be Democrats. So vote for the candidate you like the best. For me, I'm really impressed with Elizabeth Warren. I recently heard a woman named Marianne Williamson who says absolutely fascinating and interesting, enlightening stuff. There's a ton of candidates out there. Whichever one wins, I hope is the best. I really hope it's not Biden because he just bores the shit out of me. And he's just, um, he's at least a Democrat and he, he will continue to further the sort of incremental, non-sweeping change that um, mainstream Democrats have done. But there's a lot of way more exciting Democrats out there who I think really want to upend things and, and, and really, you know, shake out the rug, shake out the fleas, wash the dog. So anyway, that's my two cents. And it's, it's interesting to see some really deep thinkers kind of agree on the overarching historical situation that we find ourselves in. And it helps to explain the success of Donald Trump. So anyway, 
Um, let's all vote, vote that, that fucker, fucker out, out and all of his buddies in the next election. Vote often and uh, let's try to fix this thing. On a personal level, I'm about to put out a record called Franglais. Franglais. It's a record of translations of songs that I love and care about, songs by all my favorite groups growing up in the 80s and 90s. I have an album of nine songs which I've translated into French so if you've always wanted to hear the Pixies, Violent Femmes, Fugazi, Bob Dylan, Camper Van Beethoven and of course Justin Bieber in French then you need to pre-order my album it comes out July 14th but it is available for pre-order on my website pierredegaillon.com for the English speaking people it's pierredegaillon.com go out there check it out and please order thank you for listening to Pierre Pressure Podcast we'll be back again very soon with more exciting stuff later, later. later.